I'm thankful for those of you don't know me and I'd like to welcome you here in regards. It's my privilege today to continue uh, preaching in the book of Hebrews. We're going to be looking at uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 12. Now the Bible is pretty clear to Hebrews 12. Uh, has everyone got some notes? If you'd like to tell us if there's a uh, few notes here, just, uh, if you don't have one, you'd like one, please grab it. Uh, that would be great. This is We're told that. Uh, you can take it so much when you listen, but when you start writing things down, it is uh, a little bit more helpful. So there is an outline on the front page of that sort of notes, and there are some application questions on the back that are some of the interviews throughout the week. It's interesting, as, uh, as we started last week, Hebrews 12 is all about running a race, running a race of endurance. I took this to Harvard this week uh, in a physical way and I thought I'd go off to a, uh, a pump class. Who knows what a pump class is? Right. Okay, for those of you who don't know what a pump class is, it's, a, it's music uh, designed for exercise. And you use barbells and you use weights and you use all those sorts of things, right? And it goes for 60 minutes, so I won't have to decide that it goes for 60 Stop. <laughs> and um, so I was, uh, as you do, you're sort of running into space uh, in this class. And, and yes, I do not wear leotards. <laughs> uh, yes, I have baggy shirts and baggy shorts. And I'm sitting there trying to get it. I'm not a natural dancer, but <laughs> not a natural uh, event of mine. But you've got to have some form of rhythm. You have some form of rhythm as you, as you do the exercise. And they do all the major muscles. They do the legs, they do the back, they do the shoulders, they do the triceps, they do the biceps. And it's a wonderful form of exercise. But when I was in the middle of this class, uh, my mind started wandering, wandering. And it was wandering around what I'd been reading and, and thinking through for this week in uh, Hebrews 12. And uh, about running this race of endurance. And, it got me, and I noticed myself doing when the exercise got hard. I started skipping a couple of weeks, right? When the exercise got excruciatingly painful, I stopped. And that sort of reminded me a little about Hebrews 12 and what the writer or the preacher was exhorting this congregation to. Because as we discussed last week, uh, this is a a written sermon, Hebrews 12, 1 says, look, I want you to run this race of endurance. I want you to, to lay aside every weight of sin. It's a primary thing. You've got to deal with sin in your life to run with endurance. You should look to others. Look to others' faith. In this context, it's looking back to all those wonderful, wonderful men and women of faith in, in the Old Testament. Look back and, and see their example. But above all, fix. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's run the race of your behalf. He is the author of your faith. He is the perfecter of your faith. So run with endurance. And last week we looked at the, the, the issue that as part of this race of endurance, God uses discipline. Not in a punitive sense, but a, a non-punitive sense. So the discipline God 
gives to us in, in this race is something there to shape us, to mold us, to guide us, to correct us, to train us. And why does he do this? Because he is a loving God. We read some verses from the Proverbs chapter 3 and the Proverbs chapter 4, which talks about God's deep love for us. That's why he disciplines us. Because he loves us. He wants to correct us and guide us and shape us and point our feet onto the straight path. So we can run this race in And this morning, we're going to continue looking at this marvellous exhortation at the end of the book of Hebrews. So, please uh, turn with me and we'll read. We'll read from verse 14 through the end of the chapter. Strive for peace with everyone, and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no rude bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by the fire many. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. We know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he saw the tears. For you have not come unto what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I trembled with fear. But you had come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in the festival gathering. And the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned him on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who walks from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more I will shake, not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So as we walk through this particular the chapter, as I said before, we said to run this race of endurance is something that, that is put before us. To run this race of endurance, we need to lay aside every weight of sin. We talked about that, haven't we? We talked about you need to rip away the things that stop you from obeying the Lord. And you need to look to Jesus. And never exhorted here to strive for peace. With everyone. And for the holiness which 
know, no one sees the Lord. This is a, a command in the midst of these exhortations. It's a direct command. It's, a, it's imperative. Now, if you're running the race, you need to strive for peace. That's going to be one of the pillars of what you do. Why? Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. That's how, know, that's how you know that you are following Christ because this fruit of peace has been developed in you through His grace. And what He does here is He does a, a, a really wonderful thing. He says, as part of striving for peace, I want to give you three examples and three warnings of what peace is not. He does that in verse 15 and 16. See, the, the ultimate goal of striving for peace is to obtain holiness, to become more like Christ, to be shaped into His image. That's the goal. And, and then he, he turns in there and says, I want to see, I want you to show you things that upset peace, things that are not of God. And I want you to be aware of this. And he gives us three things. And as, you, as I mentioned last week, as you study God's Word, look for repentant phrases. It's a real key to, to finding out what emphasis is, what the Lord is trying to communicate through His Word. Look for repeated phrases. In verse 15, 16, and 17, you have one small phrase repeated. Seeker that no one, that no one, that no one, you see it three times. See to it that no one fails or is obtained the mercy of God. That no root of bitterness, in verse 15, and verse 16, that no one is immoral or unholy. And he builds this case that peace is destroyed by these three things. Peace is destroyed. You are a peace faker when you miss the grace of God in your Christian day of time. See that no one fails to obtain. Fails is a better translation than misses. It's, it's, it's even in this athletic realm of running a race, and we talked about the boxing metaphors that started in verse 4 last week. This whole thing of missing the target. Um, and missing the grace of God has uh, the idea of you do this through your own fault. You do this, you fail to reach, you fail to finish the race. You desire in your race to skip the odd bend and not do the full exercise. <coughs> you desire not to realize that your life is shaped by the gospel. And that Christ is the author and the faithful. Just as if you want to have a peaceful life, you want to display this fruit of peace, don't miss God's grace. Don't miss the fact that you're a Jew. Don't miss the fact that Christ's beautiful, sinless life and all his righteousness is now imparted to you. You know how it. You know 
bask in that glory because that's what Christ has done on your behalf. It's a gift of grace. It's one of life's grace gifts. Don't miss that. Because when you have that, you have great things. You know why you have great things? Because there's no accusation against you. You have great hope because of the, the kingdom to come. So that's what he says. See to it that you do not miss the grace of God. And the second thing he says, that you put the word see to it in front of it again a little bit, so if they see to it, then no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. <coughs> you see, the most destructive thing in church life, in Christian life, in community life, is distinction. It's the most destructive. Is, is a fruit of roots of bitterness in a person's heart. How can you identify uh, roots of bitterness? Because in here it says it's a deep-seated emotion which results in the defiling of many. It is fleshly in its origin. It's not a fruit of the spirit, it's deciding to walk in the fruit of the flesh. Root of business is caused by conflict between brothers and sisters. It's caused by unforgiveness. It's caused by a, a judgmental spirit. It's caused by anger towards one another. And it goes further than that, and those personal issues go to the collective. It becomes like an infectious virus. And it destroys peace. Absolutely destroys peace. It becomes, this root of bitterness springs up and it becomes judgmental and it seeks to persuade others in relation to your own preferences. itself in legalism. You start measuring others by your own standards as opposed to measuring others by God. <coughs> you see, roots of bitterness in a person's heart are a complete contrast to what should be happening in your heart through God's grace and the development of the fruit of the Spirit. In the context here, the, to defile means to cause the purity of something or someone to be violated by immoral behaviors. And that's what judgmentalness does. That's what roots of bitterness do because they are like an infectious virus. And they grow it, and they grow it. Unless repentance occurs, unless confession occurs, unless you form the grace of the mercy of God. And determine your heart that I'm going to walk by the Spirit. I'm going to be led by the Spirit. I'm going to keep in step with the Spirit. 
with those in Galatians 5, Galatians 14. And that's how
Actually, it's not such a big deal. And I said, let it go for the future. I'm not going to remember it ever again. Galatians 6 talks about gently restoring. If you're in conflict, let's, let's go to one another in an in a element of grace and love and gently restore. Ephesians 4 and 2 Corinthians 5 command us to go and be reconciled. To be able to reconcile with a fellow brother and sister in Christ is willful disobedience. And your aim always is to glorify God with you. Yes, and that means to apply God's grace to this conflict. So putting your differences aside is about following the same. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despite it. That's the attitude, that's what the Spirit can do in your heart when you, when you uh, choose to follow him in this. Okay, so he says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no one is embittered and is defined in many. The third one is that no one is immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single year. The uh, NASB and the NEC, I think, have a better translation here. It talks about immoral and unholy by Esau. Because what was the deal with Esau? Esau was, was the, the son of Isaac, along with Jacob. He was working in the field. He came back hungry. Jacob, his brother, who was known as the deceiver, says, and he was a great cook by, by all accounts. He was uh, cooking up a pot of stew. He knew his brother was hungry and he said, Esau, you like some of this beautiful stew? And uh, Esau said, Yeah, I wouldn't mind some beautiful stew. No problem, sell me a birthright. Sell me a birthright. Now, a birthright was an incredibly precious item. The birthright was the right to have possessions of your father passed on to you. And not only in this case, the birthright was the promises of God to Abraham. I'll make you a great nation. I'll give you land. I'll give you personal blessing. That is a, the magnitude of, of Esau's birthright. But Esau was godless in his response. He was worldly in his response. And as opposed to having an interest in these, these wonderful transcendent matters of, of God's promise. He was totally willing. He said, yeah, I'd rather have the student in my birthright. I'd rather have my, my stomach built than the promises of God. He was immoral and he was godless. He sold his birthright at a paltry price. We read for only a single meal. A single moment of gratification in his hunger. He had no appreciation for the spiritual elements of his promises. He had no appreciation for the fact that he had been told consistently, I'm sure by Isaac, that, that God has promised us this great indifference. And you as my first son will carry this. In fact, by giving up these rights for the meal, he showed he 
he, he is birthed for a freedom advocacy. And the specific says that he tried to, to sort of almost recant of it, he tried to desire a spirit of blessing, but, but uh, he was rejected. Just been given to Moses on the mountain, and he, he, he comes down, 
And uh, here is a, a sample of what we know in verse 18. Now, with all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. The people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And said to Moses, You speak to us, Moses. You speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us. Lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not be that God has come to test you. The fear of him may before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near the thick darkness of God. Move on to Deuteronomy chapter uh, 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, this is sort of 40 years after the event. Moses is delivering his, his farewell speech to the nation. Deuteronomy 4, they enter into the promised land. And he takes them back to the significant place at Hort. Mount Sinai. He says these things. Only take care, verse 9 of chapter 4, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. And lest you depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make it known to your children, to your children's children. How in the day when you stood before the Lord your God for the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words. So that they may word it hear me all the days that they live on the earth. That they teach their children so. As you came here and stood before the mountains, while the mountains burned with fire, the, the heart of them, wrapped in darkness, clouded them. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, you heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. It was only a voice. This is an incredible part of the national history of Israel. And the the preacher here of Hebrews picks this up and he uses it in a really unique way. Because you know, Jews of today and Jews of this decimal period which we're talking about here, they held very, very high for the fact that the first five books of the Old Testament were, were almost more important than anything else in the Bible. They almost had a mindset of a canon within the canon, if you like, that because God spoke these words directly to us, because we heard this voice from the mountain, it's more important than the rest. More important than the prophets and more important than the It's not true. Okay? Because we, we read in the New Testament, all scripture is given by God as prophet for doctrine, for correction, for training in righteousness. See, I think also even in today's times and Today's place within the New Testament church. Sometimes we put a greater weight of the New Testament. We almost have a, a canon within the canon and say, well, the Old Testament are, and we have to worry about it. No, all scripture is popular for us. The writer of Hebrews here uses this. He says, hey, you weren't there. You weren't there when God spoke from the mountain. You weren't there when the, the, the thing was trembling and shaking like a leaf. You went there when the, the order was given that if anything stood foot on the ground, it might be shot by an arrow or, or stone. You went there. For you, you had not come to that. But, here's a wonderful contrast here in verse, verse 22. You went there when the old covenant was given. You went there when the laws were given. But, you have come. 
Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come into the presence of the King. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. These things describe the same thing. Heavenly Jerusalem. And what is there? We're told what is there is innumerable angels, myriads upon myriads of angels. Have a glimpse of that in Revelation. Have a glimpse of that in Isaiah. Have a glimpse of that throughout God's word. That this is a, a place of magnificence. What else is there? The assembly of the firstborn, verse 23, who are enrolled in heaven. What a wonderful promise of the new covenant. You and I are there to put our faith and trust in Christ. You and I are there because we have been enrolled. What does it mean to be enrolled? Go on, go on, everything's cool. We get enrolled in the class, right? We get enrolled in the university course, or we get enrolled in the sports club. Whatever. You're enrolled. And this is a, a direct sort of affirmation of the fact that we read in other parts of, of Scripture that there is a book of life. The Lamb's book of life. And, and we are enrolled in that if we have put our faith in Christ. The names of the redeemed are inscribed permanently in this book. Permanently. They cannot be taken out of this book. And this is beautiful because the two verbs used here, you, you have come and enrolled, are both perfect verbs. That may not be much to you, but it means incredibly amount of It means that God has done the work on your behalf and indicates that you have a permanent, ongoing relationship with God through faith in Christ. Your salvation is secure. Don't you want to take me Because it's based on Christ that's home in Christ's life. Before some commented that this here rules out, rules out completely the fact that apostasy can happen through the world. Therefore, you need to view the warning passages from Hebrews in a different way. This here affirms with other significant New Testament passages that our salvation is. Because it's based on what? The author and perspective of our life. You cannot lose your salvation. However, what he saw you can do is just the rule for this thing. Thou will walk in the Spirit, thou will be led by the Spirit, thou will be nice of the things you know are wrong. You will lose blessing, but you won't lose salvation. And it's affirmed by verse 24 because uh, you see, you see that your salvation is based on the mediator of Christ. He is the mediator of the covenant. 
See, the word mediator here is not in the context of what we understand as mediator today. The mediator today in the contemporary sense is that um, you work for a compromise between certain parties, right? If you're a lawyer, you're mediating certain legal issues, you, you work for a compromise. This is not the sense of the word here. Here the, the word describes the function of Christ as the one who is used by God to enact the new covenant. The new covenant is promised in Jeremiah 31. The new covenant that you heard in Matthew 13. Oh, 26, sorry, I'm the blood of the new covenant. And it's established and has established one with the new relationship between God and Talks about another another imperative here, another command. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. It's not that you do your Bible study through a chapter like this. You, you have, as I said, significant repeated things. You have verse 18. You have the voice that's coming from the mountain. You have uh, a little bit further down. You, you do not refuse him who is speaking. Why they don't do it. Verse 26. At that time, he's worshipped the earth. And now he's promised you once more, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is the things that are made. And all the things that cannot be shaken may remain. He quotes from Haggai chapter uh, 2. It talks about in a little while in the future time this shapeable kingdom will be removed. Will be judged. This, this thing that has been created will be removed and replaced by an unshapeable <coughs> So here you have a, a, the classic thing view of the kingdom that the kingdom is already, yes it is already because it says you have come to Mount Zion you have all these places, you are in the heavenly places, but there is a future reality it's not yet because the earth and, and what we see has not been shaken in judgment at this point in time, it will be because God is righteous and it has to be but what awaits us is this magnificent new and shaken So what's our response? Our response is simply verse 28. <coughs> and we talked about this wonderful subjunctive, let us. But if you read as you're reading through Hebrews, you'll see this often. Let us. It's an ex- exhortation and a recognition of command. We must do this. We must come side by side and, and, and think about these things and think about this race. And, Think about God's discipline. Think about what it means to obtain peace. Think about the promises of the new covenant. And as you do this, let us be thankful and grateful. Our only response when we read this is a hard act of worship to our marvelous Lord and Let us be grateful for we receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, <coughs> secure, 
morre. Thank you. 